darlings. I hope you haven't missed us. This is Adam Danger, and this is another episode of Not So High Fidelity. Uh, once again, I'm joined by my partner in time, Tessa MTV. Tessa, how are you doing? Well, hello, Adam, and hello, everyone out there. I'm doing uh, pretty well. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm not too bad myself. Nothing to complain about. Uh, my friend, tell me, have you heard anything, listened to anything groovy lately? Uh, well, you know, there's a bunch of musicians and bands out there that are, you know, in this quarantine just like we are. And there's been a lot of cool stuff, you know, that these people have been putting out. And one of the things that I came across this past weekend actually is from this band called The Struts. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They're an English band. I've um, heard of them. You should check them out. They're really interesting. Um, but anyway, they do a cover of a Spice Girls song, believe it or not, called Stop. Ooh. And I actually think they do a much better job than the Spice Girls. It's so fun, <laughs> um, you know, which I think is something that we all need in these in these days of quarantine life. We need something to make us smile. And this definitely made me smile. So I think you guys should check this out. And also um, the guy, uh, the lead singer of this band, his name is Luke Spiller. Adam, I think you would find this guy really interesting because he is quite a fascinating character. He's kind of like, when you look at him, he looks like Freddie Mercury. But Not he bad. also kind of looks like Mick Jagger with a splash yeah. of Dr. Frankenfurter. Oh, so, my goodness. He's hitting all, he's rounding all the bases there. Yeah. So if that doesn't get you to, to check him out, I don't know what will. But um, he has a really good voice. So definitely check these guys out. They're a lot of fun. How about you? Have you heard or watched anything pretty cool this these past couple of days? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, just the other day, on my birthday, by the by. And I, happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Cheap plug, cheap plug. <laughs> uh, no, I was with my wife, uh, Tori, and we were watching. I made her sit through Marie Antoinette, the 2006 Sofia Coppola film. And I liked I haven't seen the movie in about seven years. Uh, so I was like, I had it on DVD. I was like, let's watch it. I think you might dig it. Uh, so my wife's like, yeah, sure. So we put it on and, uh, it's a great film. I really like it. I really like Sofia Coppola. Uh, at the time the film was, um, it wasn't, she had just done like Lost in Translation in about 2003. And so this was the follow-up to Lost in Translation. And so I think a lot of expectations were super high. And when you watch the movie, you can see they spent a ton of money on costumes. And mm -hmm. I think they even filmed around the Palace of Versailles. So, you know, they put a lot of money into it. And I don't think that the critics at the time, uh, they were just kind of like, oh, this is it, right? Like, it was a movie that has a lot of money in costumes and decor, uh, but it's still a very small story about a young woman, right? A young woman that at 15 or 16 uh, is told that she's going to marry uh, the Dauphin of France and ends up becoming the Queen of France, right? But she's only like all of 19 or 20 <laughs> years old, right? So uh you know kind of in the same line of of you know a young woman's story not unlike uh that of the virgin suicides right where it's kind of a smaller story smaller intimate story into the lives of these young women well now we've kind of taken that the next step further and she was a historical queen of france and so um it's kind of a hard juxtaposition but in rewatching the film i really enjoyed it one of my favorite parts about the movie too is just the soundtrack like what an insane soundtrack it's so good 
Uh, it features a lot of kind of post-punk and early 80s, uh, like uh, new romantic kind of bands, uh, like Bow Wow Wow, Adam and the Ants uh, stuff. So it's, it's really cool. I, I was listening to the, the album last night, the soundtrack on Spotify, and I was just really digging it. Yeah, um, you did mention that movie to me, and I've seen a couple of her movies, and that, unfortunately, is not one, but I looked up the soundtrack when you mentioned it, and and I was like, wow, yeah, that does sound like a good soundtrack. I saw Susie and the Banshees on there, I think, Um, Adam and the Ants, like you mentioned, so that that would be interesting to see that kind of music uh, put up against, like, a historical piece, so I'll definitely be checking that out. And once you mentioned Susan the Banshees, it brought back. That's how I discovered, actually, Susan the Banshees. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you a kind of hazy story, as I recall. Uh, it must have been in the mid-2000s, oh, 2007 or so. And I remember being at my friend's apartment after imbibing a few spirits, as they were. Adult beverages. Just, yeah, among <laughs> other things. Uh, so anyways, I, I remember, I'm, I think I'm just trying to, catch my breath uh, in my buddy Cameron's room and I hear these strings going and and then the guitars kick in and they just caught me like it just like a thunderbolt right and I, I kind of got out of my stupor and I said what is this song what is the song and my buddy Edwin uh, who you can hear on the Fab Five was like oh this is Hong Kong Garden by Susan the Banshees and I just said, Hong Kong Wong? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he goes, I'll go back to sleep. And so I remember just thinking about it, being like, wow, this is really cool. And unknowing that he was playing this, the soundtrack anyway. So that's probably the first time I even heard the soundtrack. But uh, mm-hmm. just hearing Hong Kong Garden by Susan the Banshees, uh, that great guitar, uh, that cool kind of beat, um, really kind of, I think, set the table for, for where I was going to kind of go. Uh, down the future in terms of like records that were going to shape me. And on that note, records that shaped me, this is our part two of our musical expedition. This is the Tessa episode. So Tessa, we're going to talk about some of the albums that helped shape you and allow you to kind of go into uh, detail. Is that right? That's right. And and if you guys remember me mentioning last time that my albums are going to be quite a lot different than the ones that Adam <laughs> talked about in his episode. But um, so my musical journey, um, it begins in my senior year of high school. It was, you know, the end of 1995 and we're heading into 1996. This is the last year I could get away with not really having any responsibilities. It was the precursor to moving out of my small town and beginning the next chapter of my life as a college student far away, you know, but not too far away from home to the big city where I just truly believed in my heart that everything was the take for the taking. And I just could not wait for it. I'm sure Adam, you can remember you know, when you were a senior in high school and you couldn't wait for those days either. Oh, you're definitely Um, right. Yeah. um, You know, because for me, that meant freedom. It meant independence. And for the angsty, angry teenager who felt isolated, who felt misunderstood and just generally didn't know who I was at that point in my life, it was just everything that I wanted. I just wanted to get out of that small town. Um, 
music has always been a staple in my life, especially when I was a wee little kid and was pretty much glued to MTV 24-7, hence the name Tessa MTV. Uh It's it's a big part of my life, or it was anyway, when they played videos back in the day. Um, But when I was in high school, the music that I was listening to, it really began to take on a different kind of significance for me. And I just really surrounded myself with it all the time. And one of the albums that pretty much never left my CD player that year was from Garbage. And it was their self-titled album, Garbage. Um, so, Adam, how do you think I discovered Garbage? Think about uh, the period of time at that time. Oh, let's see. Well, I mean, Shirley Manson would have had to have been uh, everywhere at once, right? Yeah. So let me think. Um, I'm going to say it was in, uh, she was on the cover of, like, Spin Magazine. And you're like, I got to check this out. So I went to the local record store and picked up the album. Yeah, I mean, she definitely was all over those magazines, Rolling Stone, Spin, um, whatever magazines were were still available at that time. But I actually discovered them on 120 Minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Remember yeah. that? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So here's, you know, 17-year-old Tessa. I'm watching 120 Minutes late at night when I probably should have been in bed. And then I see the video for... I'm only happy when it rains comes on. And so I see this woman. She's got this fiery red hair and she's in a blue dress. And she's singing along to this distorted guitar. She's singing, I'm only happy when it rains. I'm only happy when it's complicated. And I'm like, hmm, what is this? It's, it was kind of like she was speaking directly to me. You know, the, the lyrics were very melancholy but the music was so angry and so aggressive and in your face. And to me, I felt it like it hit me like a lightning bolt. And I think I was so drawn to garbage because they felt like something very rebellious to me. And as a teenager, you know, feeling like I was just being hampered down by strict parents in the confines of a small town, I think I really just gravitated toward that spirit of rebellion in that album. And, you know, when I look back on it, of course, my parents were not these (laughs) ultra strict authoritarians or anything like that. But I think every teenager probably grows up thinking their parents are these super mean people that never let you do anything. Um, That's true. And also, I, I think I was just really fascinated with Shirley Manson herself. I mean, she had this br- bravado about her. She came across as this kind of woman that didn't suffer fools, and she wasn't going to put up with anybody's bullshit. But she also wasn't afraid to show that vulnerable side to her, especially in the lyrics that she wrote. And I sort of identified with that. You know, Adam, as you know, I am this tough, cool chick. Or, you know, so I I seem to think I am, but hey, you know what? I've got feelings. I've got things that bother me too. And I felt like she was just really singing about a lot of those things that I couldn't necessarily express for myself. You know, those uh, typical things, anger, frustration, just wanting to feel a little validated sometimes. Um, But yeah, I mean, this, this album has a special place in my heart, not just that year. 
but I still listen to it a lot even today. And I think anybody that knows me, especially you, Adam, knows that Garbage is one of my favorite bands. And um, in fact, they're the, the, they're the band that I've seen the most. I've Confirmed. seen them, yes, I've seen them a grand total of five times. And you had the honor of seeing them with me for the first time. Remember that? That was your first time seeing them? That was my first time seeing them in Austin, Texas at La Zona Rosa, which does yep. not exist anymore, unfortunately. It doesn't. It does not. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, just so, like a lot of venues there, unfortunately, they have gone the way of non-existence. That's, but, a, that's uh, a shame. No, but that was, that was a, an incredible show. Oh, uh, who was the opening act? It was that, that uh, group out of New Jersey. Uh, and it was that oh. young lady with the guitar and she kicked ass like she was she did and she was like to me she was like the second coming of Patti Smith even though Patti Smith is still with us and I wish I could remember the name of that band I think you bought their CD as a matter of fact didn't you right yeah I got bullied into it she, uh, <laughs> she was like you better buy this record or I'm gonna you know like tear this shit down. We're like, yes, ma'am. Uh, my brother's going to remember it the second he hears this. Yeah, you met her. It's, uh, on but the, she was, it's on the top of my head, but I just cannot recall uh, it right now. It's not like the slits. I know it's not the slits, but it was something kind of like jagged and cool. Like Yeah, the I, I want to say it was The Somethings. Right. Like a three-word a three band name, but I fortunately I can't recall them. But so, yeah, um, I'll be seeing them for the sixth time this summer, God willing. Um, and it'll be at the most 90s concert ever. It's going to be Alanis, Morissette, Garbage, and Liz Fair. Yeah, yeah, I just saw that. You <laughs> told me about that, but I think I saw that on the Rolling Stone. I was kind of looking up some information for these albums. And yeah, I remember you telling me that. I was like, is this the, the concert that Tess is going to? But yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a hell of a series. Like, it's going to be an mm -hmm. awesome concert. Yeah. Um, so this is supposed to be in June. So we'll see how how things pan out from from now and then. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be, you know, OK by that point. But you never know. Definitely. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you this just about garbage in this this first record. I wanted to see, would you agree with me in a statement that albums like these, they're almost like roadmaps or compasses for us, right? Like they kind of, they come down to us and we can hold them in our hands and we can listen to them. And it just kind of starts pointing the way of where we want to start going in our own lives and our own tastes and our own possibilities. Would you, would you agree with that sentiment? I think so. Um, like I said, you know, I felt like when I discovered this band, you know, Shirley Manson and the music that they made, I really felt like, although I saw them as rebellious at the time, I felt like this is who I'm supposed to be. This is who I am. And this is the direction that I, that I really need to go in. And I felt like it kind of led me in the right direction. So I, I totally agree with that. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I feel, and even when you look back at like garbage and their first record, you know, nobody at the time looked like Shirley Manson or looked like a band. You know, it wasn't, we were kind of coming out of grunge a little bit, but they had kind of a slick uh, mm -hmm. look to them. But it was still very dangerous, very rebellious. Uh, but you could be equal parts uh, sophisticated, but also uh, very, very tough and, and not taking shit and stuff like that, which is really cool and I think really kind of um, helps them stand apart from their contemporaries. 
Yeah, and they have that added bonus of having Butch Vig as their drummer. I mean, we all know what what he's known for. I mean, he when right before he got with Garbage, he had just produced Nirvana's Nevermind, and that was well, we know what happened with that album. I mean, it was just um, a classic even today. That's uh, the standard for for grunge music and alternative music. Um, so yeah, fantastic band, fantastic members. Um, all their all their work put together is just one unique creation, and they they stand the test of time. Not many bands last this long, and they're still here. That's and for, yeah. yeah, and and I can't believe that I've seen this band. I've spent so much money on this band, but it's totally worth it for me because I love them so much. Right, right. I uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who listens to the show. I'm going to call her the leader so as to not impute her <laughs> privacy. And she and her husband and her family, they're from California. And she says, uh, dude, we would go to the Arclight. Uh, and there was like this little bar, I think, near the Arclight uh, there in Los Angeles. And she goes, I would, she, I would see Shirley Manson there like like as a regular, just like sitting at the bar and like having a beer. And she's like, but I never wanted to bother her, right? But we would just see her all the time, like either getting a beer before the show or during the show and stuff. And I was like, oh, man, how cool is that? That you just w- walk into this L.A. bar and there's Shirley Manson just like having fun, taking it easy. You know, that'd be really cool. If you're in yeah. San Antonio, you see Augie Myers or somebody. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally jealous. I I don't know if I would approach her. She's definitely very intimidating. But if I had enough liquid courage, I probably would. Wear your Tim Duncan jersey. I'm sure that's an in with <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Side note, she's actually a very huge Tim Duncan fan. Who would have thought? I would have seen that coming. (laughs) Tessa, uh, show us show us the way to the next record. All right. Well, I did mention Alanis, so we are going to continue on that path. Um, So the next album on my list here is Jagged Little Pill by the one, the only Alanis Morissette. Oh, man, where do I even begin with this CD or album, I should say? Um, This whole album was the angry adolescent girl anthem of the 90s. I think Alanis was the universal voice for pissed off, fed up women everywhere at that time. She wasn't going to take anybody's shit and and neither were we, man. I think this album also really brought a sense of community for me and a lot of the girls that I went to school with. I remember going to the gym at the end of the day. It was the last class of the day for me. And me and the girls are in the locker room. We're getting dressed for class. And there happened to be a stereo in there for some reason. I'm not really sure why, uh, but there was one in there. And somebody had the Alanis tape. Do you remember you know what a cassette tape is, Adam. I, I do. Things. Yes. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> our, our listeners would call a cassette tape. Okay. So, anyway, somebody has this tape. They put it in the in the tape deck, and they start playing. And every girl in that locker room is singing along. It's like rain. <laughs> it's a free ride when you've already, you're already paid. paid. <laughs> it's and, good advice. <laughs> Did you, so you, you know the lyrics? Who would have thought? It's written on my heart, these beautiful poems. Yeah. 
it's funny because you you listen to these songs so many times without even realizing it and you just know all the words automatically for some reason. I yeah, mean, I think yeah. that's that's the impression this album made on people whether you liked it or not. And so I think this album really had this sense of urgency and vulnerability that really spoke to a lot of young women especially, you know, at the age that I was at that time, 17, 18 years old. Um, I can remember being in my bedroom, just laying on the bed, the lights turned off and listening to Alanis on this little boom box that I used to have. And she's, (laughs) (laughs) uh, she's singing about the trials and tribulations of being a, a young woman. You know, she's just trying to do her best to be perfect in a world that, you know, kind of seems stacked up against her. And I was like, yeah, you know, Alanis, I feel that way too. And again, I think a lot of young women, a lot of girls at that time were just looking for somebody to speak for them. And I think that's what we saw in Alanis. And so she was kind of like our idol at that time. And, and um, I remember having a poster of her up on my wall. And when this, uh, super 90s concert came about several months ago and I bought the tickets I was like all right it's it's time to to bust that uh poster out and put it back on the wall (laughs) yeah (laughs) all all us 40 year olds are gonna be uh, screaming like banshees again like we used to when we were teenagers to hear Alanis again um but yes Alanis is somebody else that I've seen in concert and so um this will be my second time seeing her so I'm you know, super looking forward, um, to that concert and reliving all of those old memories. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of funny when I was reading about, uh, Jagged Little Pill, you know, I grew up and that was something that my mom like really dug. Like if you know my mom, she's one of those people <laughs> that, uh, you don't take lightly. Right. And she's, she's a girl power. She feels like she invented girl power in the seventies. Right. But uh, that was just kind of her kinda... anthem. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But so that's that's something that I grew up with, that she was kind of uh, flying that flag and and was really behind it. One thing I, I'm realizing now is that I think I read a bit of on Wikipedia that when this album came out, Alanis Morissette was really young. She was maybe 20, 21 yeah, when it came was, out. Like, she was probably around that age, 19, 20, 21. Yeah. And I think I read something that it wasn't until... Taylor Swift came around, but Alanis Morissette was one of like the youngest female rock musicians, like accomplished rock musicians, uh, having written and played on her own album, like Jagged Little Pill. It wasn't until I think uh, 2007, 2008, when Taylor Swift comes that now we can we kind of think of like, wow, Taylor Swift was really young writing these these songs, but you know Alanis was doing that back mm-hmm. in the mid '90s, and so uh, I think that even gives it even more. Uh, context and perspective like she was a person that just I, I feel like tapped into this uh, cultural vein that we we were all feeling I think some more than others obviously right and uh, and was able to articulate it in these great songs it's like this, the whole album's loaded with songs like ironic yeah and, there's a lot of singles on this song on this album rather yeah it's stacked it's stacked so when i was listening to it i go i didn't know this song was on here like i know like mid-90s alanis morissette i didn't know it was all on one album (laughs) yeah um there's there's a lot of good songs on 
on this uh, album and it's one of those rare ones that I can just listen straight through not skip a song listen to it over and over again and I listened to it again recently on a on a long drive and it just never gets old for me and you know to me that's that's kind of when I know that I found a really good album and something that really means a great deal to me is when I can just listen to it the whole way through and know that each song has some kind of impact and meaning for me. Yeah, Definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. Um, so let's go ahead and move into the college era of my Ooh, musical journey. Here we come. It's really interesting here. Okay. Um, so this is probably about 1999. It's my third year of college. And I'm showing my age here, by the way. Just disregard that. Age is nothing yes. but a number. Thank you, Aaliyah. <laughs> so anyway, um, I would think I've done some growing up by this time. I've seen some things. I've, you know, been exposed to a lot more life experiences. And my mind was definitely opening up to trying different things. And that, of course, includes, you know, listening to music that wasn't necessarily, quote unquote, my type of music at the time. So along comes uh, Portishead's Dummy. Mm. Um, trip hop at that time, you know, is all the rage in, in the mid to late 90s. But Portishead was really kind of my first foray into that genre. And I just really loved everything about this album. It was so different than anything I had heard at the time. I was really drawn to the mysteriousness of it all. To me, it sounded like the soundtrack to a James Bond movie. And it was so right. funny when you mentioned that the other day when we were talking about this, because I was like, yes, that's exactly what it sounds like to me. And I think the use of different techniques, like the fuzzy guitars, the record scratching, samples a little fender roads thrown in here and there and then you add in those really haunting vocals of beth gibbons and it just really created this unique eerie vintage sound and i think the music and the lyrics kind of come across as a very dark very moody and a little unsettling at at some times but i kind of found comfort in it and i was thinking about how you i'm not recalling what album you were talking about um last time where you said I don't know why I like this I just do it just made me feel a certain way and I feel like that's what this album is for me um it just made me feel a certain way and I'm not really sure why I was drawn to it um I had the tendency to listen to this at night especially when I was driving it was a really good driving album right yeah. and um, it kind of made me feel like I was just a little bit cooler, a little more mysterious than anyone else who had no inkling of who Porter said was. I mean, and, that cannot be denied, Tessa. <laughs> all yeah. verified facts. <laughs> and it was, it was just one of those albums, you know, you wanted to put on late at night. You turn the lights down low. You have a martini in one hand. You have one of those little skinny French cigarettes in the other. And you just kind of sit there and ponder life and wonder, wonder what it's all about. And that's that's what it reminds me of. That's the, the feeling that it evokes for me. And I want to give a special shout out to your your maker, Mr. Daddy Danger oh. himself. <laughs> <laughs> all rusty as it were. 
He's listening. This is up for you, Pop. Yeah, you and I were were talking about this album the other day, and you mentioned that your dad had this, or may have had this in his music library. So I just wanted to say props props to you, Daddy-O, for having such great taste in music. Oh, you just made his day. He's like... (laughs) He's like high-fiving himself. I'm sure he's pausing it right now to be like, see, Yvette, I told you uh, this was really cool in 1997 when you were listening to Meredith Brooks. And, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, it was funny because I, I hadn't heard this record before. Uh, and so I was like, this is something I know my dad would dig because he, you know, he was in that kind of like trip hop and like uh, Chibomato kind of, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Some Jamiroquai. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to see if he's, if he's heard it. And so then I texted him. He's like, oh, I had it. I really enjoyed that album, Dummy. Because I think I just said, oh, have you ever listened to Portishead? He's like, I really like Dummy. I have that. And I was like, oh, boy. Like, already preaching to the converted. He's like, well, of course I have that. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> I should have I known better, right? I really should have. Uh, but no, I think something that you, you touched upon is like, you know, there's something that you really can't put your finger on as to why you like it or why you're drawn to it. And something I've read when I was reading up about this album was uh, atmosphere. Like mm-hmm. this album is all about creating an atmosphere, creating uh, a thought and a vibe and a feel, right? And that just kind of pervades uh, pervades the entire album through each song. So when you're putting it on, uh, it's it's in the air, you know, it's almost as thick as, as uh, fog that's kind of rolling in. And I can definitely hear it now. And I think it's something that really ages ages very, very well. Uh, but I think that's what you, you, I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like you're kind of getting to that, like, it was just this atmosphere. Somebody was playing with light and shadow and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, and, and it was maybe the first time you, you really, oh, this is what it is, and I appreciate it, and it just kind of, like, builds and maybe opens up all kinds of different records and albums yeah. and things. For- yeah, definitely. It is, you know, vintage-sounding as as I thought it was. There was also something kind of futuristic about it, sure. and I think that's another reason why I really liked it, because even listening to it today, it just sounds brand new, like a brand new sound, something you don't hear very often. Um. But yeah, great, great album. And and again, props to Daddy-O. You got some good taste in music. <laughs> and you definitely pass that down to your son, sir. Oh, good on you. you. Oh, boy. I appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah. So that's Dummy. Dummy. Tessa, where are we going from here? All right. So on to the next. Um, so the next album on my list is Grace by Jeff Buckley. Mm-hmm. Uh, released in 1994 and I would say this album probably more than any other not only changed the way that I listened to music but it kind of changed me as a person I distinctly remember the very first time that I heard Jeff Buckley's voice and so this was probably back in 2000 and I was home one night I was watching of course MTV2 as we would at that time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and anyway, the, the video for Last Goodbye comes on. And as soon as I heard his voice, I was like, who is this? This voice, oh my God, I've never heard anything like it. Um, if I were to describe to somebody what the voice of an angel sounds like, I would say Jeff Buckley. Listen to Jeff Buckley. That's what it sounds like. Um So after I see this video, I go out and I buy his album Grace and 
you know, from that point on, my obsession with Jeff Buckley began. I probably listened to that CD daily for quite a long time, definitely Mm. more than a year. And when I first listened to it, it was so hard to define exactly what the album was. It was something that you really couldn't quite grasp because it was just so many different things all at once. And I think that's kind of why I resonated with it. I was in that period of my life where, you know, I was just trying to figure it all out. I was listening to this album during my formative years as a college student. And I always kind of felt this pressure to define who I was, you know, to be this specific thing to people within my orbit. Um, Sure. But when I listened to Grace, I finally realized, you know what, why put yourself in a box? Why mold yourself into something you're not just so that you can make others feel comfortable because they can define what they perceive you to be. And in a sense, this album made me feel more comfortable in in who I was and, and really who I am today. And so I think it helped me realize that you don't have to be defined by one thing you know really just open yourself up to all the possibilities and I think it'll help you to become a far more interesting person than you could have ever imagined so that's really you know what this album did to me or for me rather and again when I listen to this album I get a sense that Jeff Buckley wanted to be everywhere all at once right he could literally play anything, sing anything. He had this really extraordinary vocal range and his voice was so precise, crisp and clear. And and his falsetto, oh my goodness, his falsetto was just mind blowing. And he definitely had this very emotional, very dramatic uh, uh, tone to him. He was such a diva. Um, (laughs) he he wore his heart on his sleeve and you can, to me, you can very clearly hear that in his vocals. It, his voice just seems so surreal. It was like something you could only hear in a dream, not necessarily in this reality. And the way that he played his guitar, he was an excellent guitar player. It was a lot like how he used his voice as an instrument. It was extremely precise and complex but it was also very agile and melodic and so a lot of the songs on this album musically vocally they're just all over the place he could go from bluesy mysterious almost shoegaze like songs I want to say um, some of those songs are mojo pin, so real. And then he could go to your standard alt rock radio friendly songs like Last Goodbye or Eternal Life is another one. And then, you know, he can completely switch gears and sing something like Lilac Wine, which was originally performed by Nina Simone. Right. right. Um, and then, of course, you really can't talk about this album without mentioning Hallelujah. Sure. Everybody knows that song. (laughs) And of course, it was originally done by Leonard Cohen. I'm sure lots of people know that, but probably most people don't. But um, you hear this song used a lot in movies and TV. It's it's overused, really, I think. And I really, really dislike the fact that some people describe this song as the ultimate Jeff Buckley song. And I think, quite frankly... Um, 
this is the song that some people are introduced to Jeff Buckley. This is how they um, first become aware of him. And I don't necessarily think it's fair to him, but what I think that song does prove so well is his, you know, really remarkable ability as a musician to take somebody else's song and completely make it his own. Right. Right. I think uh, we can talk about that too. When we think of like, let's say heart, you know, the Nine Inch Nails song, like, yeah, that, I that never Johnny would have Cash listened song. to, yeah, the Johnny Cash song, right? Um, I think I read an interesting uh, point, or like a little piece of trivia was that uh, Jeff Buckley liked the song Hallelujah because he heard it on a John Cale uh, mm-hmm. record that was for like a singing Leonard Cohen songs, right? So it wasn't that yeah. he really liked the Leonard Cohen version, he was just like, well, I like John Cale, who I think may have produced Grace. Uh, John Cale is one of those one of my favorite kind of rock and roll institutions coming from the Velvet Underground uh, on up and producing these great records. But I just thought that was so weird. He was just like, "Oh, John Cale sings this cool song, and I like him. Let's do it, right?" And he just totally uh, yeah. makes it his own. And and you're, I think you're right there. You've hit the nail on the head, as I'm wont to say in these matters. Um, I think you can draw a line to more like. Chanteuse, right? Like singers like Edith Piaf and yeah, Eve Montani, definitely. right? Like you would sing these torch songs and they were, it was all about the singer and the voice and everything kind of just, the universe kind of revolved around that. And so maybe they were a little eccentric. They wanted to do things differently and they were super vulnerable because they were constantly wearing their hearts on their sleeves and their, mm-hmm. their vocal, uh, you know, their songs had that in their DNA. Uh, and so yeah. you can you definitely hear it, but sometimes you know I'm, I'm sure you get like the the well they were just difficult to deal with or they're kind of weird or really eccentric, but because they're constantly feeling things, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean he definitely had that talent that not all singers have, and that's that he can take these words that are just on paper and turn them into words that you can feel, and he does that just by with the sound of his voice and not a lot of people can claim to have that talent yeah very very few and i think even fewer are able to put that onto Mm -hmm. record right like i'm sure there have been great singers but uh it's really hard to kind of capture that gene in a bottle right yeah and so the story goes one fateful day in may 1997 jeff buckley went for a swim in the Wolf River, uh, which is part of the Mississippi River, I think, in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. And he, he never got out, unfortunately. A, um, a boat passed by him while he was swimming in the river, and he got uh, caught up in the waves and, and drowned, unfortunately. And he was just a young 30 years old. And I just have to wonder how his career would have panned out if he was still with us very very wow. sad story and i think it makes it um i kind of adding on to that that sorrow is you know his dad being uh, right tim buckley right mm-hmm. yeah and, having, and he died very very young as well as a, as a singer in what the late 60s yeah uh, early 70s let's see uh, i guess 75 uh, when he passed away so uh, which is kind of weird and i don't know if you could draw like a weird parallel between like brandon lee and bruce lee right like <laughs> Uh, that kind of, and they both passing away in the, in the mid '90s. So, not to bring this down, <laughs> make it a macabre podcast, but I, you're definitely right. Like, we'll never really see that maybe in our lifetimes. 
yeah. uh, someone with just that that incredible mix and that incredible range and artistic vision uh, to be able to sing like that. Yeah. So everybody, you know, definitely go out there, do yourself a favor. If you've never listened to Jeff Buckley before, it's worth checking out. He has an amazing voice, and I promise you, you will never feel the same after listening to this album. You heard it here first. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're at the end of the road here. Bum, 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 bum. The last, the last uh, album on the list. All right. Um, so this next one is part of the older, the more distinguished repertoire of Tessa MTV. And uh, I've got to say, at this point in my life, I've become one of those crabby Gen Xers who goes around saying the music today isn't as good as it used to be. <laughs> I, I know you're saying that too, Adam. I know I'm not alone here. No, you're not alone. <laughs> I'm on that boat with you. Yeah. You know, I go around saying it's all crap. There's no substance in music anymore. It's all noise. It's all nonsense, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, needless to say, there isn't a whole lot of music out there today that impresses me very much. But that's not the case with this last album on my list here. And that's Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves, which was uh, released in 2018, not too long ago. And so I've kind of been following her for a few years now, and I've seen her live a few times. And what I really love about her is that she's very witty. She's a little bit of a smart ass. Her lyrics are very cleverly written, and she's got that traditional country sound in really an era where country doesn't really sound like it used to. Um, sure. But her new album, Golden Hour, is a bit of a departure from that sound. So this is actually her third album. And like all the other ones, it didn't really get a, a lot of heavy radio play. And that's fine, you know, because that's not really what determines what a great album is. Um, I really feel like it, it's almost like she had lived some life in between the second album and this one. She evolved, she found love, she got married, she really became enlightened, and, and you can really hear that on the songs on, on Golden Hour, and I think they're just a, really a representation of all those experiences that she had. And I should note that she was pretty vocal about experimenting with acid while she was writing this album, um, so that adds a whole different element to it. And I think you can kind of hear that influence on the album for sure. Um, sonically, it's a lot different from the first two albums that she did. There's something a little mystical about it. It's a lot more ambient. It's atmospheric than the other two albums. Um, there's still a very much a country feel to it, but there's a little bit of a pop twist. And I like to call sure. this her her um, California Country Linda Ronstadt album. That's what it kind of reminds oh, me of, that sound back then. Yeah. So the lyrics to me, they're hopeful, they're confident. She sounds a lot more sure of herself uh, than her past two albums she sounds like she knows what she wants now she's done some growing up she's lived some life she talks about the thrill of finding love and rediscovering life you know like you've never lived it before and I really resonated with it because I was experiencing all of that too I felt like 
I was finally where I wanted to be in life and, and even career wise. And of course I found my love. So what greater feeling can you have than that? And so when I listened to this album, I really feel like I'm kind of like in another plane, if, if that makes sense. I feel a sense of wonder. I feel a sense of warmth. And if I close my eyes when I listen to this, I can just see all of the colors of a beautiful sunset at the end of the most perfect day. That's what this album really reminds me of. You put this album on a long drive, you're out in the desert, and it's just you and the open road. And you can just see for miles and miles and you have everything ahead of you. And, and that's what it really brings to me is just like this sense of hope and like everything is for the taking and, and you just can't wait to go find out what all of that is. Definitely. You know, I heard when I listened to it, uh, I heard a lot of like sunshine pop. So when you said, mm-hmm. you know, pop, Linda Ronstadt, I was, I was thinking of like Best Coast, you know, some of the yeah, like Best yeah. Coast. And, That's and, a good comparison. Uh, yeah, it just kind of like sunny lyrics, but also it could be introspective. There can be songs about um, longing and wanting. But I think just like you said, like she lived a life, so there's a little more depth to it, right? It's not just kind of, uh, I want to get out of here and I'm missing you. And uh, it's mm-hmm. there's a little more heft to it. Uh, and I think uh, when I was listening to it, when you said, you know, going off to a nice drive, listening to it, I was walking, like I was walking down the street <laughs> in my little constitution in the morning, listening to this on Spotify. And you know what? The grass was greener and the skies were bluer, right? I could feel it. I could feel that I was really enjoying being just walking outside uh, before work and, and listening to this. So it really enhanced it. And mm-hmm. I just heard like a lot of different influences too. Like, it felt like not just country, but maybe a little folk influences and pop. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I think you said your wife has this album, right? So, well, it turns out I bought the record. Like, she, I bought it for her, and I don't even remember doing it because I'm such a generous guy and I buy my wife (laughs) so many things. Uh, but no, I, I, you sent it to me and I listened to it. I think I feel like I've seen this before. So, I went to our little like record collection here and I pulled it out and there it was and she goes yeah you dumb dumb you bought it for me new like as a gift and I was like oh I must have good taste even when I don't know it yeah you guys had a good album and like you said you didn't even know it so there you go and it's an excellent vinyl as well like yeah especially now if you're indoors and you're doing the dishes or you just don't want to put the tv on like put that record on let it play and just enjoy like those beautiful Sunday mornings where you're just drinking a little mm-hmm. coffee, maybe make yourself a mimosa or something, have a, uh, just some time just to ease into your Sunday. Uh, and I think, you know, it just kind of makes the time a little more enjoyable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well that my friends is the musical journey of Tessa MTV. What do you think? <laughs> woo, woo, woo. I'm clapping <laughs> here all on the way over here. Now me. that was totally different than Adams. Don't you think? <laughs> Mine's a little more maudlin. (laughs) Also, it's, you know, it's in the century, so (laughs) that's not so bad. But no, I loved uh, all those albums and and it was a real treat listening to each one and kind of getting your your insight. And now listening to this, it's uh, been tremendous and adds a little more perspective. I think we're getting to know each other better (laughs) as pals, right? for sure. uh, But these are wonderful, wonderful albums and... uh, you know, we want each and every one of you out there in podcast listening land to definitely check them out. Let us know what you think, if you really enjoyed them. Um, 
any any final remarks any final thoughts on this tessa mtv um well i just want to say that i had a lot of fun um going down memory lane with these albums although you know i still listen to them all the time but it's good to go back and and realize what they really meant to me and still mean to me and um yeah and it was good to share all of these stories of you know why they mean so much to me especially with a good friend like you adam Oh, that's very sweet. I appreciate it, SMTV. Well, folks, that's all the time we've got today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun. Uh, TSMTV had a lot of fun. We really enjoyed it. So uh, until next time, take care of yourself. Uh, listen to a few records. You know, let's just enjoy this time together. Goodbye. <laughs>